Hey everyone, and welcome to the Adventure Deficit Show, where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. Good afternoon. Today, I have Rose Grant, professional mountain biker, uh, joining us to share an epic adventure with the Adventure Deficit community. Um, but first, Rose, uh, I'm just dying to know a little bit more about you, and I'm sure our guests are as well. So um, say hello, introduce yourself, and tell us uh, just a little bit about your background. Absolutely. Hey, Drew and everybody. Um, so I am a professional mountain bike athlete and I race for the Juliana SRAM pro team. And um, I've been racing professionally now for a decade, which feels really crazy. Um, I grew up in a very small town in Northwest Montana. My family located from Northern California there when I was nine. And um, yeah, my family just, my parents just enjoyed living off the grid hunting, growing their, a lot of their food in, you know, big garden. And we had a lot of small animals and big cows, I guess. And I had horses and, um, you know, just kind of spent life, uh, skiing a lot in the winter time and backpacking and fishing and enjoying recreating and enjoying the mountains and the outdoors in the summer. And my dad really instilled that in all of us kids. I have four brothers and, uh, you know, we were just one of those crazy homeschool families. Um, but just kind of did our own thing a lot of the time. And I got really absorbed into 4-H with my horses about the time I was 12 years old. Um, and slowly gravitated towards endurance athletics. I played you know, soccer for fun and some sports for fun, um, but nothing ever very competitive. Um, I was competitive and I wanted to be my best and, you know, always strove to be really good um, in comparison to, you know, my teammates and my competition. Um, but where I lived, the opportunity was pretty limited. And then being homeschooled on top of that just eliminated I think a lot of opportunity for me when it came to athletics. Sure. Uh, but you know, it's amazing that it doesn't matter sometimes and God still has a plan and a way of incorporating the direction into our lives. Um, so I went to college in Florida. I went to college at 17 and met my husband there when we were seniors and moved to Maine with him, which is where he's from for three years. And then we relocated back to Northwest Montana near Whitefish now. And um, just through that lifestyle and friends and connections, I did have an opportunity to pursue mountain bike racing. And it was after I was really into running and doing long distance running. And I was constantly just fighting over youth injuries because I had no coach. I didn't really know what I was doing. And, but I had like a strong 
drive, competitive drive. And I just go out and pound myself into the ground, you know, um, I did qualify for Boston and race the Boston marathon in 2007. No way. But after that, I just kind of was constantly fighting these tendonitis and tagging, uh, nagging injuries that brought me back to a bicycle. And we were living in Northwest Montana then. So there was a pretty strong community for just all those outdoor sports, skiing in the winter, mountain biking in the summer. And I had a local shop team ask me if I would uh, race on their team. And I was the only female and that had ever been a part of the team at that time. And it was 2011, I believe. And um, so I took it very seriously. And I was about 29, I think. And I said to my husband, I, I said, man, if, if I'm going to do this, like, I'm going to really do it. Like, I can't be on this team and not be good. <laughs> and that opportunity just opened up this whole new world to me that I had no idea ever existed. And I went to nationals as an amateur in both the cross country race discipline as well as the marathon cross country race discipline, which is just longer. And I won uh, both of those. And so I just raced that one year as an amateur before I upgraded to pro in 2012. Um, so that's kind of how I found, I guess, mountain biking. Fascinating. Pretty, pretty late in life for, yeah. um, you know, for professionals to find a professional career, but I've always really said that the Lord really just dropped it in my lap. Um, it's nothing I ever sought out. It just happened. And I, from there, just climbed the ladder, recognized, I think that there was a talent, you know, and more to the whole story than chance. Um, so, yeah. That's fascinating. Okay. So your story is not at all like the typical professional athlete of, of, our century, really. I mean, you, where do you sit in the lineup with your brothers? Are you in the middle of the pack, top of the pack, youngest? Where are you? Second oldest. Second oldest. Okay. Yeah, it was always kind of my older brother and I, you know, and then I, like my three younger brothers were all yeah. kind of grouped in the like the younger, you know, and I took on a real motherly role for them. And then I feel like I was always kind of keep, trying to keep up with my older brother. And then my younger brothers, I don't know if they really try to keep up with me or not, but people say, oh, you're so tough because you have four brothers. And I say, no, no, <laughs> they were always trying to keep up with me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The but trailblazer. It's so, a joke. Yeah, but early on, you knew you had an athletic drive. It sounds like um, that was that was learned through cross country and maybe some some sports that were. Um, tough to come by in your, in your more agricultural or rural setting and homeschooling background. It was tough to find teams with a whole lot of organization. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, there was never an opportunity for a future sure. within those sports. You know, there was nothing set up and as far as, you know, just, yeah, lack of opportunity really. Yeah. Um, and I, I really feel like God did bless me athletically. I think I could have gone on to do a plethora of different things had I, you know, had opportunity, um, you know, and, and I don't regret anything. I knew no different, you know, and then the college that I went to was, you know, and I, I'll admit, I 
was raised in a bit of a bubble, really, like not completely prepared for the real world when I was 17. Um, And I graduated early just because I worked ahead. And so I ended up going to a small Christian Baptist college in Florida called Pensacola Christian College. Um, They have a book publishing company that has a homeschool program and that's the curriculum that I use. So I was kind of pretty familiar with it, but it was very legalistic and like really not how my faith is today. Um, But it was a safe environment for me (laughs) since I wasn't really prepared for the real world. So. Yeah, that's another piece I wanted to jump into. You have, um, you have earmarked um, on several different occasions your faith uh, in God. Talk to me a little bit about your faith and, and the, the role that that plays in your, in your career um, and in your upbringing. Yeah, I mean, I, I did grow up in a faith-based home um, and always knew, like, you know, what I was supposed to do. But, you know, I think eventually everyone has to kind of define that for themselves and what they actually believe and what's real for them. And so, and I, and I know for most of us, a lot of that experience comes through the valleys in life, the hard times in life, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when our heart is broken, um, to really be able to define a real relationship with the God of the universe and what that actually means. Um, and so, you know, that's been incredible, incredible experience, but, you know, very real one as well. And so um, to have a face beyond what we see here, you know, in front of us visually gives me a ton of um, empowerment and hope. And, you know, this life is incredibly fleeting. And so, um, you know, if this is all we have, like that really sucks. <laughs> and so, you know, just to keep my eyes focused on heaven, because things are just hard. Life is really hard. Um, and so, you know, if this is all we, all we have, like that's really sad. So having a hope, I think, is been very empowering for me as an individual and as a person and just knowing like I can surrender. I don't have to have control over my races, over my training. You know, I do. I do the part that I'm responsible for and the part that I have control over. And then there's this huge element of surrender where like, you know, I've done my part Lord and now it's your turn to to show up and he is faithful. And so that's where I am today. It's just focused on, it's not legalism. It's, it's really simply like, it's incredibly simple. It's just experiencing the love of our heavenly father, knowing he's faithful and that, Um, He doesn't expect me to be perfect. Like that's why we need the Lord is because we're all, um, we're all damaged and, and dirty and we need, we need a savior. So. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Um, That encourages me in so many ways. I just saw a three minute clip on an Alistair Begg uh, uh, sermon from years back. And they they took a three or four minute snip out of a 40 minute sermon and they centered in on the piece where he said the gospel is pretty simple, really. Um, 
really made up scenario that he plays out in real time and he actually mimes all of the roles. So he's, he's the thief on the cross and he's arriving in heaven and there are angels who are gatekeepers and they're saying, okay, so the doctrine of, of justification, where do you stand on that? And Alistair says, I don't know. I have no idea. He says, okay, let's just, let's just make this really simple. The, the doctrine of scripture, where do you stand on that? And he says, I have no idea. On what grounds do you do you feel that you that you that you belong here? And he says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And I just thought that is our posture. That should be our posture. It is all him. It is not us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. So, all right. I digress. Anyways, uh, part of your story involved going to Florida at 17 years old graduating, well, meeting your husband and graduating from college um, to jumping into some some new sports for you. And one of those new sports was mountain biking. So you got a very late start. And I do not want to detract from that because this is a very important part of your story. Um, Yeah, I did ride my bike a little bit in high school. So my older brother was working at a bike shop nearby in Hamilton. And he got into it. And so naturally, I did kind of follow in his footsteps with a few different things. And that was one of them. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot that translates into riding a bike between um, equestrian, like riding a horse, and also skiing, where you just kind of really like picking lines um, and knowing how to be balanced. Um, so it came very naturally for me, even back then. And I did a few races um, when I was like 15, 16, real small local events. And I won, I think I won like um, all the races that I did enter. Um, and I just really assumed that it was because there weren't any other, there wasn't co- good competition there. I was like, oh, I only won because um, there wasn't anybody to race against. Um, when in fact, you know, as I, Later, it wasn't until years and years later that I would show up and be like, wow, well, I beat some women that have actually a reputation for being really fast. Some credentials, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so just through, yeah, that one year racing amateur, I really finished regional racing regionally and locally, primarily in addition to a couple of those national events as an age group racer, um, but undefeated. And so it was a very natural, like, you know, drive to be like, oh, I'm not afraid to pro. Like, I can't win all the time. I want to have competition. And so I did that in 2012. And I also got pregnant with our daughter, Layla, in 2012. And so, you know, my support system at the time was very limited. Um, you know, I was really paying and supporting myself to go to these events. Um, and the, I was still on the shop team, the Sportsman Ski House, but with a very limited, very limited resources, you know, maybe discounts and uh, maybe a little bit of help to get to the events. But we were camping, you know, and sleeping um, in the van, trying to in the tent. trying to work out all the kinks before you got to jump on a bike and perform at an elite level. Yeah, so I think I did um, two or three races as a pro prior to finding out that I was pregnant, or I guess I had found out in race nationals, and then I was like, okay, I should probably. Um, just race locally, not really travel to these events anymore until I have Layla and she was born the next year in March, so 2013. And, um, you know, I was just really so excited to get back on the bike and really start training and so driven. And this is where 
ignorance is bliss in, in this part of my story. Cause when I look back at what I did, I just think, Oh my word, Rose, you were crazy. But I did what all I knew I did. I did what I mean. And I've always kind of lived that way. Like if I find something that I enjoy, I'm very committed and nothing's going to stop me. And, um, you know, that's really what it took to, you know, function in that space and find success in that space. And I think that, you know, even amidst sleeping in a tent, you know, nursing a newborn that first year, and I didn't do very many races on a national level. Um, Layla had to be with me for all of them, of course. And so then, you know, either my husband or my mother, my mom or my in-laws, you know, somebody else also had to be there. And so I only did a few of the events, but through the events that I did, I feel like, man, um, you know, I finished sixth or, you know, whatever, fifth or top 10. And um, I don't feel like I should have finished that good. And, but the Lord really did bless. He has, and he's continued to bless my results through just the course of like everything. And I think, you know, you have to have results in order to grow as an athlete and to grow support as an athlete. And so that was a real key part to um, me finding a strong team. And I think 2015, I, you know, kind of just continued to bump up um, in teams as far as the level of support and what I was receiving. And in 2015, I um, got on a pro team, a women's pro team, and got a little race budget. I got a a bike um, for free to race and some equipment. And and then from there, in 2016, I joined the Sands Pivot Pro Team, which um, was me and Chloe Woodruff at the time, who is a um, Olympian now and has like a very success has had a very successful career, um, and that was huge for me. Um, it it really validated, uh, I think, you know, potential, um, and also, you know, just I just you know, I've always felt a little undeserving, like, really? Why me? But, you know, I I know now, you know, I know I'm able to look back and recognize why. Um, And so anyway, but that that was amazing and really gave me an opportunity to really be like a full time professional mountain bike racer. Okay, so just for our listeners, I think you have, I I already pick up from our conversation that you have a propensity to lead with humility, and it's a genuine, authentic humility. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think it's rare. Um, But let's back up the tape a minute. You became a professional racer in 2012. And you got pregnant. And you just Oh, by the way, took three nationally scoped races and podium? Uh, and some of them. <laughs> I don't think people, rea- I don't think people, or top 10. No, nobody realizes how tight the competition is. Like this is, this is a big deal to train every day from age seven until 28 and podium Correct. at all or place at all. But you did it getting a start at 28 and placing while pregnant. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you are an athletic anomaly. Uh, some people make, well, they don't, they, 
our family, our family, my, me and my brothers, we tend to carry a bit of a reputation. Like they're all, you know, just very stacked, you know, handsome guys. And they're just like, geez, you know, your genes are something crazy. <laughs> um, so we, we do carry a bit of a reputation, more comical than anything, but there's a bit of truth to it too. Mm. Okay. So very cool. And then, I mean, and you were doing this on a shoestring budget. Um, and by the time 15 rolled around, then you started getting some factory help and you got put on what team did you just mention? The pivot? Um, team? It was a, a, yep. Um, yep. I was racing for Stan Snow Tube um, and Pivot in 2016. That was kind of a big jump for a big, a big uh, well recognized team. Sure. And at this point, you had a three-year-old. I did, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Talk to us. Uh, catch us up from 2016 to present, Rose. What? Um, I, I guess that that is going to incorporate a, a whole lot of details, but grab some of the big ones and and kind of get us up to where you're at. Yeah, I'll, I'll just do kind of a brief. Um, overview of everything yeah if you would um, that'd, be, that'd be awesome yeah in 2016 uh I did have um a, a strong year I feel like I've always been I've always uh performed very consistently throughout my career but I tore my ACL in that August of 2016 at a world cup in Mount Saint Anne, Quebec um and during training so I sat that race out and ended my season early to have surgery and I rehabbed over that winter, came back in 2017, probably stronger than I'd ever been, um, just came real strong into 2017, was performing very well and took a fall and dislocated my left shoulder. And I struggled with that shoulder with a few additional dislocations throughout the season. And I went to world championships towards the end of the season and I remember just really even riding the course having it come out of socket with like a jolt or landing a jump or you know just very unstable and unsound and kind of thinking you know I don't belong here like I can't do this and so I was able to finish the season with just sitting out maybe a race or two but I rehabbed really strong over that winter thinking, you know, I, I really want to avoid shoulder, shoulder surgery at all costs. Yeah. And, um, and that was a really challenging season as well. Like between 17 and 18, just with my husband and I going through some challenges. And so it was hard, but in April of 2018, I went to Pan American championships in Columbia, South America. And that was a really tough course. Um, so cross country racing is a lot of single track. There's sometimes some double track, but they incorporate, especially in the Olympic cross country Olympic discipline, um, a lot of features. So jumps and, um, you know, just rock gardens and hard, hard technical stuff. And I had problems with my shoulder right away in practice. And then in the race, I did, I slid out a little on a gravel corner and I put my foot down really quick. And when I did that, I didn't know at the time what happened, but I found out later that I'd broke my fibula. Um, so I went on to complete the race 
um, on a broken fibula and it was the like most painful, most excruciating thing I've ever been through because simultaneously, like I, my shoulder was not staying in socket and it was just like this incredibly challenging and exhausting battle. So I went Was this home. on the same leg as your MCL? Yeah, it was. Right so you had leg. a busted so fib? ACL. M- or ACL, excuse me. So Yeah, and fibula. Yeah, and both a- on the same leg within like two years ah. or less than two years. Um, so I went home, had to have surgery to repair the or plate the bone in my fibula. Did you finish that and race? I did. I finished in like 13th or something. So <laughs> I beat a few people, but um, it was not pretty. I I got to the point where like some of the climbs were so slippery that I was having to walk them. And I got to the point where I was unable to um, unclip from my pedal because my ankle wasn't able to support the motion, um, which is like a twisting, kind of a twisting motion where you're, you unclip from your pedal. And so I was like falling over with my bike on me. It was just like a really pathetic um, yeah, you couldn't, experience, couldn't get out. you know, where I was just like struggling so badly. Um, and I think I may have gotten pulled early. So it was like a lapped race. And if the leader, if you're in jeopardy of getting lapped, you get pulled. And I can't remember if I got pulled a lap early or not, but. I think I actually went on to finish all five laps and I didn't get pulled. And I was like, Oh, I wish. I, and I was just praying I'd get pulled. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I did have surgery and then, um, you know, I was just, I was really in a dark spot at that point in my career. I had a lot of value in my racing. Um, you know, I allowed it to kind of become my identity and to be sidelined was like very, um, very dark place for me. and. And and then in addition to that, just going through a lot of like self-growth um, through like this challenging time in my marriage. And so rather than going back to racing after like the, you know, eight weeks or whatever, um, I opted to have my shoulder repaired as well. And so I just, I was like, I'm going to wait until I'm complete. Like I need to, I need more time to heal. And so I sat out all of 2018 actually. Um and it really is exactly what I needed, um, you know, and I realized at that point, too, that, wow, I got to a place where I couldn't enjoy and appreciate life without racing. And that was like a huge phenom for me, because I didn't think I, I didn't know I could, you know, I depended on it so greatly, um, you know, whether that be just the recognition um, or the high, the highs from racing alone, you know, or, or what. And I think, you know, it was really good for me because it helped me to, you know, with my perspective of like, where does your value really lie? Um, and then when I went back to racing in 2019, I had a, like a really challenging reintroduction to racing because those race efforts were so foreign to me. It had been so long since I'd done them that I wasn't performing the way that I wanted to and remembered feeling like I wasn't having the sensations where I could, you know, I wasn't race fit. And that was really hard for me. I, you know, didn't want to be 10. I, you know, I was like, I wanted to be, I wanted to win or I wanted to be in the top five and I wanted to be at the front and I wasn't. And it was like really demoralizing for me in a way. And I had to also be like, why am I doing this? And, you know, you've got to ask those hard questions. Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? It's humiliating. 
my teammates are winning, like they're crushing, they're the best in the nation and I am not doing well. And it felt really terrible. Um, but I just, I knew I had to show up every day. It was my responsibility. I was there because God put me there and it was my responsibility to do the work. So I, I train, I go to the races, I cry after all my races. <laughs> um, and in June of that year, I just remember asking the Lord before a big race, like, just make yourself, just make it undeniable, like that you are, are like just your presence and be known like undeniably today with whatever happens. And I said to him, like, whether that be whether I win or, um, I don't even finish because I had to save a life or, you know, something, but make it real. And I ended up winning that day. <laughs> and it was like, and, 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 and sometimes it's easy to, um, you know, not give yourself credit when you win, you know, somebody else has a bad day or there's not a lot of competition at that event. But this one was a stacked one. <laughs> like it was, um, and that, and that was like, for me, it was like, okay, you know, here we go, God. Like this was a, a hard lesson for me to learn, but uh, here we are. And I think over and over also, people have labeled me as the comeback queen. Oh, Rose is the comeback queen, you know, uh, you know, and just that tendency to make it look easy without really seeing how, how challenging the struggle actually realistically is. And, you know, people were super excited and, oh, Rose, you're, you know, you just come back stronger every time. And um, I just think that the Lord has allowed my platform to grow um, through those struggles. And so, you know, I, I, I'm just his vessel. Like, that's just what I pray, Lord. I'm just your tool, you know, like, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do the hard things. Um, and please use it. <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, that was kind of a, I'll never forget that race. And I'll, uh, I think there was a, there was a defining moment for me um, where things really changed after that um, in just my whole perspective. And so then I guess so that was 2019. Um, yeah. And then 2020 was COVID, right? So sat out of COVID and then, um, yeah. And then, oh, so it, go back going back, I guess, after I won that event, I had a really, really great rest of that season, just yeah. great results. So, I won the Leadville trail 100. I won marathon nationals. Um, and a few, it did really well in a few other races. I went to Israel and raced a stage race with one of my good friends. Um, and that was amazing. Um, so that was great. And then 2020 was COVID. Yeah. And so we didn't race at all again. And then 2021, um, the Lord just blessed me. Um, 2021 last year, um, just was in a solid place in my heart and my relationship with God. I feel like through the ups and downs and the struggles, I just, um, I've reached a place where my result doesn't affect me. Um, I can have a bad day and it doesn't bother me the way that it has. Um, it's like, man, I have nothing to prove, you know, Lord, 
you know, you, you allow today to be whatever you want. Like I, I am Rose Grant, like no matter, and I'm Layla's mom and I'm Nelson's wife, no matter if I get a bad, if I have a bad day or I don't, but you know, I'm just happy to go home healthy, you know, uninjured. And so really have been able to, you know, it's maturity too, Sure. <laughs> but reach yeah. a really healthy place. And, you know, and I, I just, I, I just couldn't have asked for a better year as far as results goes and just smoothness and just being in a really solid place in my life. Um, you know, and I think God, she just protected me, um, you know, and so, um, and then over the winter, I went through some other challenges. So it's like, it's, it's life is just a tilt a whirl. <laughs> and, you know, when you're in the smooth seasons, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to anticipate bad happening, but life does fluctuate. And I know good seasons don't last forever. And so I appreciate them. I'm going to savor them. And I'm going to try to prepare myself to be strong when things shift. Um, And so that's kind of been my approach coming into this year. And, um, you know, we're working through some challenges just in my personal life. And it's okay. Um, You know, growth is it hurts it hurts to be stretched you know and I use the analogy of um like new wine um like it takes some crushing sometimes to um be transformed into something better and so you know I just embrace it wow so many things come to mind um what a sensational perspective uh that you have so in the 2016 race, finishing on the verge of tears, nothing's working. You can't get out of your your pedals. You can't. I mean, you can't foresee the future that that you thought was pretty much booked. And it seems like your your world came crush crushing down on you. Um, you said some things about identity that I want to circle back to. I think you had. Uh, alluded to the fact that you grabbed hold of an identity that was, was, um, enshrined in, in cycling. Um, then you got sidelined and it was a dark, dark space, shoulder surgery, fibula surgery, rehab, going through probably grueling, grueling regimens of physical rehab, trying to get dexterity and feeling back into those, those places. Um, talk to me a little bit about the, the shift that took place between that, that race in 2016, um, and, uh, and the dark space in 2017, when you went into the winter, uh, and got some rehab or got some uh, surgery done and then breaking free from that. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, I think you know, when you're really into something, it's easy to form a tunnel vision, really, where you're so focused on this one thing that you're doing. And you lose sight of so many other things that are so much more valuable and important in life. Um, And I witness it, you know, I I do. And it's, it's okay for athletes to be super hyper focused, you know, in a lot of senses, you have to have that in order to be at the top I have always had a family to come home to 
after my events, if they're not with me, you know, where my life is very normal. Um, I, I have parental responsibilities. I have a house to maintain. I have grocery shopping to do, and I enjoy all of those things. Um, recreating, you know, we do a lot of other things other than train and ride my bike. We, you know, really enjoy camping and rafting and being in the winter time. And I've really just had to embrace that I, I am not in a place in my life where I can compare myself to a lot of my competition. Like our lives look very drastically different. However, I do think there is a great benefit. There has been a great benefit of that to me over the years in staying more grounded and maintaining a more diverse perspective of, you know, life. Um, but I think in those beginning, more beginning years when I was really developing this new identity of who, you know, a lot of people were, were recognizing me as, um, I really embraced that. I really embraced being the Rose Grant who was an up and coming, you know, fast mountain biker and be on the lookout for her. Um, and then I always had something to prove, you know, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, show that you know, kind of trying to earn my value based on those race results. Um, and, you know, and then being sidelined and feeling like I wasn't able to prove anything really changed that, you know, I, I felt like a little worthless or forgotten. And that's human nature too. It's like, it's not anyone's fault, but when you're not front and center, you're quickly forgotten. And so you don't want to base your value in how other people see you and it's not their fault and it's not your fault. It's just the way we're designed. And so to have your value based in something greater, like who are you in the eyes of our heavenly father, like your love, no matter what. Um, and there's so much more depth to life than like racing a bike. Like there's a tiny bubble of people in the world that, may know who you are as a bike racer, you know, and it's like, well, Rose, do you even know who went to the Olympics, you know, for whatever sport is, you know, last year? It's like, no, I probably don't, you know, and it's like, no, it's, it's very controversial. I've been thinking a lot about this with high, high end athletics, very elite athletics and even not, but I think from the healthy mental perspective, we're constantly trying to be reinforced that we're not our, our race result. We're not our performance as athletes. And at the same time, we're constantly positively reinforced, positively reinforced for good results and good performances. And so it feels like this really tug of war situation that I've kind of come to recognize as being like, this actually is not healthy at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're told that we're valuable irregardless of our results. Um, you know, but it's really the results that provide this positive reinforcement of our value. And so it's come it feels very complicated actually. And so for my daughter, sure. it's like if she really wants to be competitive in athletics, like I'll definitely support her. Um, but at the same time, if she doesn't, like, I'm okay with that too. And really just really focusing on the fun aspect of enjoying it and enjoying the process. Um, you know, and yeah, there's just 
it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. And I've done it for 10 years. So I'm 39. And, um, you know, I really think I'm going to be retiring after this year to be able to embrace a more, um, less structured lifestyle, um, so that we can just, I, I'm ready for my life to look differently. And I've reached a place too, where I feel really satisfied with everything that I've accomplished and that I, I think I've, you know, all the growth that I've experienced. Um, it, and I think too, that, you know, I think learn like all the learning that I've done and just the realization of you're not re- your race results. Um, you know, you, you, you're fulfilled outside of your, I, your hat as an athlete, you have fulfillment where you don't need that to be fulfilled. And so, um, I feel grateful that I'm in this space and I feel like I could, there's nothing that this year will provide me in racing, um, good or bad that changes Rose Grant as, you know, an athlete or as a regular person. And so I feel like this season for me is just total bonus. Like it doesn't really matter what happens. Like I can just go out there and, and race freely and, and enjoy it. And, you know, if I don't do well, um, you know, it doesn't change anything, all my accomplishments from the past. And if I do well, like I really like to do well, obviously <laughs> I'd really like to finish on top. Um, yeah. but you know, it just doesn't hold the same um, wait, I think no. that it once did. No, I, I go back to even one of my introductory comments about you being an elite athlete whose makeup is more akin to the something from another century. And, and when I say that, I had in mind an Olympic athlete, Eric Liddell, Chariots of Fire. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read anything about him, but he's, um, his faith in God and his um, his decision to maintain um, his course despite the way of the world um, was asinine in the mindset of everyone watching. He decided not to go to an event on a Sunday because he needed a Sabbath. And he ended up winning gold, but people thought, why would you, how could you ever, that it just doesn't, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to hang with the best if you make these types of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet he's written about time and time again. I think uh, Eric Metaxas wrote about him and included him in a story uh, or a book called Seven Men. And he's compared to the, the likes of George Washington. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So when I hear your story, I go, yeah, there are things about Rose Grant that are very, very unique. Um, and when you fast forwarded from that dark space to 2019, when you decided that you were going to dutifully approach your job with um, perseverance, determination, grit, but it was a responsibility of yours. You made it. You made it clear in the way that you broke it down. And despite the fact that you had a sixth place finish somewhere in there, I don't know exactly all the details that that you shared. But it sounded like you had in mind a pretty lousy outcome, and you ended up not just on the podium, but you won. And um, 
a verse comes to mind that uh, that applies here, and it's it's in Proverbs, and it says, "The horse is prepared for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord." Yeah, you know, I all I have to do is show. I mean, not all I have to do, but I feel like once I get to the start line, my work is done. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's when I say the surrender part. And it's like, I've been faithful, Lord, you know, allow, just allow to happen what, what you, like, I'm your vessel at this point. So mm. I love that. That is yeah. so incredibly inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Wow. Just so much good um, character development gems in there. Um, so I can't wait to go back through this and just comb through some of the stuff to, to highlight, but, uh, yeah, no doubt the whole thing pieces together and, and in a way that's not, not done yet. Your story is still being written and whether or not that includes. Well, it's, it's kind of scary. Like, Oh, what next? You know, I feel like I should have this big plan and I should know what it looks like. Well, and I don't necessarily I guess that's not a complete prerequisite. I think it would give a little security yeah. <laughs> to know exactly. Um, but I want to move into a coaching role and um, working more with young, younger kids and, mm. um, you know, maybe support of some kind. Um, and then just really embracing a more diverse mountain lifestyle, um, which I love, you know, and I miss just being able to do all the things. <laughs> um, and I want to be able to pursue them while I'm still young enough and strong enough to do, um, you know, other things too. Sure. And Layla's nine now. And so, you know, to be more present for her and just work on creating memories that, you know, lasting memories. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, and, and that, you know, just like, um, chariots of fire it's like i just know that when i feel the tugging on my heart for a shift like again it's my responsibility to listen to that and to allow myself to be moved and you know looking back it always looks out um so wow Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rose. I have a couple of questions that I would like to ask. Success, uh, pre-2016, success now. Um, compare and contrast the, those. Um, oh, a pre-2018? Um, 2018, success? yeah. Yeah, I think and so. And success now? Um, I think I, I won a short track race in 2018 that um, really gave me validity for uh, moving on to a big team. Um, it's very results focused. Uh, now, uh, some of my best successes and race wins have come off of uh, really focusing on my, my own performance and my strengths in a race and aren't dictated by what anyone else is doing on the course. I very much um, enjoy racing events undistracted by my competition or what other people are doing as much as I can. A lot of times, like you really have to embrace working with them, but embracing who I am as an athlete and where my strengths lie and r racing within my limitations and using my strengths to, to, to 
my advantage. Um, what has been how I've won led the last couple of times. All right. So question number two, I would say uh, for just a general audience, people assume that um, there's there's probably a good deal of balance that goes into being mom and wife and professional athlete. What just looks completely abnormal? Um, I think a lot of mothers, uh, maybe fathers too, I can't vouch for you as well, but um, you know, we really want to be able to do it all, be, be that super mom and carry, you know, make those homemade meals and do the grocery shopping. And, um, I heard something on a podcast recently where a female was being interviewed and she said, um, you can do it all. You might just not be able to do it all at the same time. And I think it's taken a long time for me to recognize there's a price to pay. There's always a price to pay when you're trying to do it all. And so accepting that help, you know, allowing yourself to do takeout or asking for help um, or just like communicating, hey, hon, I'm not going to be able to make dinner tonight, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I don't like that. But it's just a piece of reality that like, you know, we, we're not meant to do it all either. And so, um, I don't know if that helps, but that was definitely a piece of, um, a line that I resonated, it has resonated with me a lot. And, um, I think too, just with stepping away from racing, uh, I'm just ready to embrace that too. Like you can do it all. You just might not be able to do it all at the same time. That's a sound bite. What's your favorite verse? Isaiah 58, 11, I actually have it tattooed on my left shoulder, which is the shoulder that I had repaired. Uh, the Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be as a watered garden, like a stream of water whose waters never fail. Rose, I've had such a good time um, in this interview. It's been a delight getting to know you a little bit. Thank you so much Thanks for sharing. For yeah, it's been You're uh, welcome. It's been cool. So, um anything that you want to add or leave in a closing remark? I'm going to I'm going to leave that for you and uh then we'll we'll close out. Well, thank you. I don't really have anything. Um, you know, I just think life is a journey and you know, a lot of our expectations just get changed drastically at the last second. So, to just maintain fluidity, fluidity and um you know, I think, yeah, you know, having faith in, in something greater beyond yourself is, is really important. And, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for chatting. I know I've shared a lot, so. Awesome. We wish you all the best in the upcoming season and, uh, can't wait to see where you go next. Thank you, Drew. Have a good day.